0: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Jane's Talks, um, great to be back with you again um, and uh, today I'm really excited because um, we've got an old guest returning and we've got a new guest alongside them, so um, Dr. Kate Hendricks-Thomas is with us again, um, hello Kate, welcome back
1: Thank you for having me
0: <laughs> This is the third time Kate's been on, she's our resident neuroscience person um, on, on the podcast um, and today we've got, um, a friend of hers, um, called, ah, um, I can't, I can't read. She just sent me a message and I can't read it. Um, <laughs> the benefits of live calling. Um, yeah, whether we've got, um, uh, someone called Sarah Plummer-Taylor, who is, um, um, gonna, who does a lot of work on the same kind of, similar kind of areas that, um, that Kate works in. Uh, who's, um, Sarah is a qualified personal wellness coach, a speaker and author, so um, welcome Sarah, thank you so much, good to be here, um, yeah so we're going to be talking about um, the link between physical and mental health on, on a kind of scientific level and how that connected to our spirituality and some practical steps about integrated and holistic health and um, there's, there's loads of different areas we can cover today so it's going to be very very interesting. Um, so Sarah, just, um, not many of my listeners, well, some of have, um, um most many of the listeners today would not have heard of you. So just tell us a bit of your story and about the kind of work that you do.
2: Yeah. So, um, I'm a Denver based holistic health and wellness counselor. So I live out in uh, Denver, Colorado, but I travel quite a bit around, um, actually over to the UK and throughout North America. Um, I really always loved guiding people to make better choices and kind of mentoring and and holding that space for people. I did that first as a U.S. Marine Corps officer. I served for about seven years, uh, which included two deployments to Iraq. And uh, now, as a mental health professional, I mentor people and organizations around the country to help them find clarity and discover how to live happier, healthier lives, and I utilize a lot of that mindfulness based um you know protocol a lot of somatic protocols and and a lot of work based on resiliency theory.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Um yeah, so tell us about the Semper system and how that process works.
2: Sure. So Semper is an acronym I use. It's it's got multiple meanings to it. Uh the first meaning which is from where my, my business name and everything came from, is the Marine Corps motto is Semper Fidelis, which means always faithful. And I adapted that as I was transitioning out of the military into my civilian life and, and starting the work, you know, the businesses and doing the work that I do now. Um, and I adapted Semper to be an acronym that stands for always being uh, sincere, empathetic, motivated, perseverant, engaged, and excited, and resilient. And then there's resilient. a seventh element of faith that's actually at the center. Um, as When I depict this visually, it's a, a circle with a seven kind of uh, elements, little pie wedges, and then faith is there in the center, like the cog in the wheel. And so the Semper system is tied to um, really a lot of the research we have around uh, the stuff that Kate uh, has probably already spoken lots about around self-care, social support, and spiritual practices and how that really helps us learn, train, practice, and apply principles of resiliency.
0: Fantastic. So just, those, what are those seven again? Um, it
2: is uh, sincerity, see, empathy, so motivation, yeah.
0: motivation,
2: per- perseverance,
0: mm-hmm.
2: en- engaged and excited resilience
0: and faith and faith. wow that is fantastic that sounds really really <laughs> cool I love how faith is right at the centre of that um, mm-hmm. like the cog in the wheel that makes so much sense all those things kind of revolve around faith don't they um, they do um, so yeah Kate um, we were just mentioning uh, touching on it a bit but how does your work kind of overlap with and complement what Sarah does well over the last
1: several years we have done a lot of our work together um all of the the training and uh in, in sarah's case the coaching and the counseling and in my case the academic instruction everything we do is grounded in resiliency theory in that notion that you can engage in very specific practices to bring your best self to each and every day so sarah's approach is um markedly similar to my own and we've had the opportunity to do some of our coaching, teaching and training together. We actually Mm -hmm. wrote um, and have delivered since 2012 uh, resilient leadership trainings that combine health, resilience building, um, notions of social support, self-care and spirituality into a a three day uh, retreat experience, so I love. I mean, sir is incredibly dynamic. Where we really we've imbibed the same Kool Aid when it comes to how we how we teach people to uh, to get healthy and stay healthy and stay connected. Um, so I would say honestly, we have a lot in common, and we do a lot of our work together.
0: Right. Uh, yeah, it does sound like there's a lot of crossovers between your work. There, I mean, that'd be those those three day events must be fascinating. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's. What does this like, um, Sarah? What does this kind of look like? This system, look like, in a kind of day to day kind of rhythm, kind of day to day process, like how we live out our like everyday lives. What does that the Semper system kind of look like in our everyday lives?
2: Well, um, there are there are. Dynamic and multiple ways to apply it. I think in in approaching it from a day to day perspective, as you asked, um, within each of those character traits, there are practicable behaviors. Um, whether that be you know action oriented behaviors around fitness or eating, or more kind of in the cognitive behavioral. Uh, tradition around mental exercises that we're doing, um, meditative practices, prayer practices, things like that. That, um, as I work with clients either one-on-one or in, in some of the group counseling that I do, or in portraying this, you know, approach, whether that be at the resilient leadership retreats that Kate and I do, or in the the keynote speeches and, and events like that, um, it's kind of giving people some examples. Of behaviors and practices that they can apply um, within their lives in a way that makes sense to them. So there's a concept I utilize called bioindividuality. Um, sometimes uh-huh. an even longer version of that would be biopsychosocial individuality. In that, um, and this is another concept Kate talks about as well. And you know, we teach together in the environments where we're working together. But customizing these practices. Um, to your needs and honestly to your desires because if it's not something you want to practice anyway you're probably not going to do it and it may actually even increase your stress right if you're forcing yourself to do um mm-hmm. one of the easiest examples i think is like doing a form of exercise that doesn't really um speak to you authentically so that would fall under the sincere category within semper so asking yourself what what is authentic for you. So for instance if everyone's telling you well uh crossfit is the next best you know best thing and you've got to do it, you've got to do it, but you go and for whatever set of reasons that just doesn't resonate for you, um you don't feel like it really serves you, then that's not going to be the best thing for you to do. So it's tapping into that um personal awareness around what what authentically is best for you, you know, maybe another modality um, is better. So that that to me is just maybe one example within one category of that system of of um, training, honing our awareness around what really does serve us best. And that's actually kind of one of the foundations of the approach. Like that's kind of one of the places we need to start before we start collaborating around. All right, what are the things I need to do? Is uh, honing that awareness. Uh, right out of the gate around what really is working best for you individually
0: so it sounds like this is about knowing yourself quite well Um,
2: that's a that's a big part of it yes
0: um, and knowing how you work and knowing what works for you what kind of things work for you in terms of personal wellness and and taking care of yourself and you know I suppose underlying it all is actually you've got to have the desire to take care of yourself in the first place Mm
2: hmm. Well, and so, you know, and and if it was just that, then, then, you know, just, hey, pick and choose personally what works best for you. I don't think we'd be quite where we need to be. Um, And and what I mean by that is I sort of see myself as the liaison between an individual and what we know the research shows us, right? So not Mm. just willy nilly saying, oh, just do whatever you want, whatever feels good, but saying, here's what the research shows us, now let's customize that within that framework of what's right. going to be best for
0: you. Uh, I see, right. I see, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, and, and it, it practically makes a lot of sense because we are all different. Um, mm-hmm. So the different, different little things are going to work differently with each of us. So we need to, yeah, tailor it to suit that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So... Um, I'm going to ask both of you this question, but I'll start with with Kate. Um, what's your understanding of the concept of an integrated, like personal wellness, which takes which takes in our spirituality and as well as our physical and our mental and emotional health, and and how do you think they can be connected and impacted by each other?
1: Well. I think that all three of us embrace a a real notion of holistic health, meaning that you honor spiritual health just as much as you honor physical or mental, emotional or social. Um, Interestingly, you know, I come from the exercise science uh, fitness world, and that's not necessarily the, the common understanding of health. So the first part of what Sarah and I often do together involves talking to people about health as broadly defined uh, and then walking them through some very specific self-assessments to ask themselves the hard questions. And I share very openly, and I I have with you before, James, Mm. for me, there was a period of about a decade where I let spiritual health completely fall off my radar Uh, I know now that it's at the center of my health and my well-being. It's incredibly important. But there was a period of time where I didn't even realize that I was neglecting that area. So talking about health in a holistic sense and then walking people through an individual analyses of kind of where they stand in the different areas is surprisingly, because again, all three of us already see wellness as a multifaceted concept. Surprisingly, a lot of people have never thought about it that way. They're thinking, "Do I exercise and try to avoid McDonald's? If I do those things, then I'm healthy." Wrong. It's a lot bigger than that.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So what's to What's your kind of what What's your response to that kind of question? What What's your <sighs> Well, I'm biased,
2: but I agree with Kate because I like her very much and we work together. No, just <laughs> kidding. But um, most, most of what, what Kate and I, uh, you know, share share that same uh, train of thought around that for sure. So I think she she encapsulated a lot of what I would have already said. And, and I would just emphasize it, that does tend to be the first thing people think of when you say health is fitness and food. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. so I think... Doing the best that we can as, as um, instructors, practitioners, counselors, and teachers, um, the, the different hats that, that Kate and I wear individually um, is meeting people where they are. In some ways, it comes back to that concept of bio-individuality, but also just in um, recognizing that sometimes it takes a little while for people just to, to not only mentally, but kind of emotionally get, get around that all right, it's not just food and fitness, like looking at these other categories of health um, that impact my livelihood, that impact, you know, my relationships, my spirituality, my my professional life. Yes, nutrition and yes, fitness, but also, also asking, um, you know, during the assessments that I run, asking people, what's your creative expression like? Mm. And, and that's, I think that's one of the categories people are like, whoa, I never thought about that. But like, how that impacts you mentally and emotionally, physiologically, if you have, um, you know, a regular practice of creative expression—journaling, painting, crafting, uh, singing, dancing—all those different things—sort um, of presenting to people that yes, that too impacts your health.
0: Yeah, and it makes perfect sense. You know that creativity would, you know, that uh, would be one, one way of expressing yourself. I've found as a writer that um that when I write it's very therapeutic that it's very healing that it's very that it gets out a lot of the stuff that's inside and helps me to process it mm-hmm. um, so I definitely would subscribe to that I mean I, I, I just found it interesting because i'm uh, at the moment i 'm going through a process of dealing with a lot of stuff from my my past i 'm um, dealing with uh, issues from like twenty years ago that i hadn't really resolved and i 'm seeing someone who is just both a a trained spiritual director, but also who's a trained therapist as well um, and meeting with them um, and you know I've been getting lots of advice and prayer and from from people and they've been telling me you know that you need to do the internal work first that that's the most important thing to get right before you start building around everything else is kind of affected by that that you know, the internal, I mean, I'm not just talking about the internal brain work. I'm talking the, the emotional and everything that, because that impacts the rest of that impacts everything else. It impacts your diet. It impacts how much you want to exercise. It impacts your motivation uh, and impacts everything else. I mean, would you, would you say that, um, and we'll, I guess we'll start with Kate on this one. Would, would you say that that, that is the case that that's what happens?
1: Yes. And it's actually funny because again, Health is a practice. Uh, Resilience is a practice. You're constantly rudder steering. And My husband and I were discussing last night. We've been staying up a little bit too late, and it impacted areas of our life that you wouldn't believe. There can be positive feedback cycles. There can be negative feedback cycles, but mark my words, it's all interrelated. So, making small course corrections in something that doesn't seem like a very big deal can actually yield these really beautiful, really wonderful outcomes. And uh, I think that's an empowering for people the first couple times they make small behavioral changes. And I love the way Sarah teaches and talks about this because she's very, uh, she really gets away from that paradigm that you need to facelift your entire life immediately. And once people realize that little changes lead to uh, larger changes and and more benefits down the road, it simply becomes reinforcing, positively reinforcing. And then you have to emphasize, you really need to think about this. uh, You know, I think about this in my own life, and, and people really need to think about the environment in which they are trying to make small behavioral changes. Do you have the uplifting, life-giving social support that you need to make changes and then sustain said changes. If you don't, that's your first step. You need to start there. If that means exiting toxic relationships, putting some past baggage to bed through counseling or, uh, you know, whatever way you're going to do that, you have to have a life-giving community around you to start and succeed.
0: Mm. That makes a lot of sense. That, would that be what you say, um, uh, Sarah, as well?
2: Absolutely. Um, because sometimes I think people are in these environments where really in a lot of ways it, it, it would be impossible to do the things that they want to do, you know, those goals that they may have, and they're, they have this sense of it being futile or seemingly impossible, and we put so much on ourselves individually. I mean, I think culturally that is, that is you know, taught to us in, in our social environments and to bootstrap our way up and all that. And although individual effort is very important, we have, we have to reassess our, our environment and look at the social setting in which we are trying to accomplish those goals. Um, as Kate gave some of those examples, whether that be a toxic relationship, whether that be even where you're living, you know, if you're living in a town, um, let's say, uh, you know, a client I'm working with now where she's noticing that that most of the people in the particular town she lives in, you know, aren't interested in, and some of the things she's interested in aren't living lifestyles generally the way that she's really, you know, kind of wanting to start doing. Um, and she's looking at jobs in other cities. And, and so that's something we're kind of thinking through in that and that holistic health picture, right? And looking at the whole environment, um, are you going to be around people and places that encourage what you're saying you, you want to be doing with your life, right? So finding that alignment piece there as well with your environment.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, well, I mean, what about what if this? I mean, I'm just trying to think of a hypothetical situation. If there's somebody who's, I mean, this sounds a lot like. To get into this, to get into this pattern, you need to kind of almost like restart your life in many ways. You have to stop and then start planning out a new rhythm to your life and where you've got these resilience um, strategies and and habits in place, you know, where you kind of reboot your life in a sense. but yeah, of course. Well,
2: I think just to just to kind of counterpoint that, to speak to the whole concept of like small changes make big differences, is that I wouldn't want to say that entirely because I think there's a risk of of overwhelm there, right? Of like, oh gosh, mm. I've got to do a complete reboot. I think there are there are crossroads for people at different points in life where that, that reboot is available. And sometimes that happens through a move, right? Or, or changing Mm -hmm. jobs or changing relationships. But I would, I would want to offer the other side of that coin too, and saying it doesn't always have to be that big for, for the impact to feel like a little mini reboot, you know, maybe it's just implementing, integrating a new practice. And that truly sometimes is as simple as adding in 10 minutes of, of morning prayer, that you've been hungry for you know or or one food swap in your regular diet um i've worked with people where time and time again that has been shown to me that the smallest things can make just the biggest differences sometimes so i just want to offer that as as you know yeah. part of that as well
0: that was the question i was going to ask actually was you know is it is it necessary to do the question i was going to ask was, is it, is it necessary to do the whole reboot and because it sounds a bit overwhelming having to do that, but clearly from what you've said that's you know it's that it's not necessarily it it's possible to make these changes bit by bit gradually one at a time and just slowly rebuild rebuild um your life in a sense and you know build these patterns into your life um which is which makes it a lot more accessible to a lot more people I would think so um yeah. That's the
2: hope. I think more accessible and more empowering. That um, then that's something I think people can, and myself included, you can take ownership over um, that versus feeling like we don't really have control to change massive things about our environment or our lives most of the time. It really is just kind of those small practices day by day that, like, okay, can I roll off my bed? Onto my meditation pillow and sit there for ten minutes before I go downstairs. And for me, I've got fur babies, I've got my dogs, you know, whatever the the potential chaos of the day may bring to me. That's a that's a sliver of the beginning of my day that I feel like I do have, um, you know, some agency over.
0: Yeah. To
1: use Kate's favorite word, agency. Kate, your turn.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I really. I I love, absolutely love that word. And I love the notion of adding in and crowding out. And this is blatant plagiarizing of Sarah's, uh, one of Sarah's key teaching points. Um, But if you think about the whole notion of positively reinforcing behavior, when you get off your bed onto that meditation pillow, that 15 minutes that you spend there is 15 minutes that you did not spend scrolling through a social media site on your phone or stimulating yourself um, negatively in some other way. So as you do these tiny little things, you start without even trying crowding out maybe some of the less helpful behaviors that are that are feeling negative to you. So again, I, I go with the notion that there is this positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement. It's a snowball effect. I mean, when I get a little stressed and let my exercise routine slip, all of a sudden I'm drinking soda and eating naughty things, you know. I mean, it, it all goes together. It's all linked.
0: It really is. I mean, I, I find that definitely. If I have a, a bad day and I'm stressed, I'm more liable to eat junk food, you know, or sugary food, and not bother to exercise, you know. So I can wake up in the morning and I mean, like I'm going to, have a run today. I'm going to be healthy today. I'm going to do my, you know, healthy diet, whatever, eat, not eat too much, eat fruit, whatever. Um, and then I have a really stressful day. Something really bad happens. I get annoyed. I get down and I think I don't care. I'm not going to go running. I'm just going to eat junk. I'm going to eat sugar and that kind of thing. And then, then and it becomes a snowball effect. Like you talked about, it it's, it's it just gets you even more down, and makes, and is and is worse for your health, obviously. So, um, there is that. I mean, how do you, like if you're say if you're trying to deal with a pressure situation, like so you've kind of you're getting into these good good rhythms, but something comes unexpectedly, maybe that you know something disrupts your life that you're not expecting, and sort of catches you off guard. How do you how do we build up resilience so that we can counter even those those things which come along which disrupt us which we don't expect
1: well i think Uh, what's interesting about building resilience is your perception of what is an adverse life experience or a disruptive event when you're when you are engaging in your self-care your social support your spiritual practice and you are pretty resilient all of a sudden you're Bar raises and what it takes to knock you off your saddle is a is a lot more significant. Mm. So the idea behind building resilience is that disruptive life events become less so. What were you going to say, Sarah? I interrupted you. No, no, I, no worries. We both started at the same time.
2: Um, <laughs> again, I agree with Kate. And I what I was. What first comes to mind for me with questions like that, because um, that, that's so common. That's normal, right? Like life doesn't ever stop coming at you, is to cultivate these practices in such a way that it feels so foundational that even when those bumps in the road happen, you get kicked in the teeth. You, you have a few things that, that you just that are so integrated that you stick with. Um, of course there's ads and flows with even those things at times. But, um, but I found that if really on the front end of working with people, um, finding what those are, one, that it's authentic, right? There's that interest piece because usually when, when the proverbial, you know, crap hits the fan, the first things to go are the ones that, that don't even feel good to you anyway, right? That yeah. feel like it's a, it's a stress-inducing practice or way of eating or way of thinking. It applies to all those areas. So if we can get even just one to three foundational things that, that can be touchstones for people, um, that can be that foundation of resilience, a, a consistency to through weathering the storm that you can come back to. And then start adding on again. And, and yeah, I love that concept of, of adding in and crowding out. And that once the storm passes, come back to that, that practice of adding in. So you're having that different mindset from the get-go. It's not a deficit mindset. It's not what things can't I eat, can't I do. You know, It's more what can I add in that I like, that makes me feel good, that I enjoy, that serves me. Um, but in the meantime when things are real busy or real stressful i've got just a couple things i really stick to and i know i can come back to and add on again later when i either have more time or more mental emotional spiritual bandwidth to do so
0: Mm. yeah so that's that's interesting that's really really interesting so you have i mean yeah obviously so you build in new habits so Mm -hmm. that and then when conflict comes hopefully those Habits will be ingrained in you enough that you won't just default back to what you were before. Your default will be the new habits, you know? Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so, I mean, what are the examples of these, of little things that we can do? Like, for example, say, I'll use myself as an example. I'm trying, I'm trying to do this at the moment myself. I'm trying to start putting more healthy practices into my life, you know? meditation in the morning like for 10 or 15 minutes and prayer and you know whatever um and changing my diet a little bit at a time and doing a bit of exercise every couple of days at least if not every day you know and i'm still at the stage where if i have a disruption those things are just going to conk out because they're still disciplines for me even though i want to do them they're still uh, i'm still at a point where i'm trying to implement them you know so what are the i mean are those are just are those i mean i I, um sorry (laughs) um what so what would you say to me for example as i try and implement these practices into my life just as an example to anybody who's trying to implement new practices into their life to try and get them on a much more healthy kind of level um to how, how to deal with, how to be prepared for conflict? Well,
2: two, two concepts, and I, I do start with concepts because it's going to be, the specifics are going to be a little different for everyone, right? But mm. um, the adding in and crowding out, uh, I, I think that's a great place to start for people. In some ways that gives us a like a permission slip to not berate ourselves when we're not perfect. I feel like, cause if I, if I can say, well, um, I'd like to change my diet for the better. That's the initial, you know, broad starting point. Mm. Um, if I can take that, that approach of what are the good things I can add in, you don't necessarily have to focus on the things you're doing wrong or the things you're trying to eliminate, but rather what little bit throughout the day can I, can I add in, Like, that's good. And some, and that, and I'm talking the smallest things like I never eat carrots and today I did, but maybe nothing else about your diet changed that those dietary changes, lifestyle changes. And, you know, we're using food as an example, but again, this applies to all elements of health, um, in and of itself may not seem like a big deal, but becomes, I think more sustainable over time because it's not as rigid, right? So there's some dynamic quality inherent there, which which being dynamic is a is a really big part of being resilient. Part of, you know, a definition of resilience and mindfulness is like increasing our range of responses. So not only having one set way to deal with every single problem. That doesn't work, right? We don't we don't have only one way to deal with every problem. And when we do, that can cause stress. I'm going a little bit down a rabbit hole here, but I guess just to say, um, having a less rigid approach um, to those changes and starting with that that adding in concept, um, and then part two would be um, seeing the difference between primary food and secondary food. And again, this giving ourselves a little bit of slack, a little bit of grace, a little less rigidity around our changes. So. Primary food is all the stuff that feeds us that's not food. Relationships, spiritual practices, physical fitness, professional life. Now, there are subcategories within those, of course, but I think looking at those, that's primary food. Food is secondary food. And so giving ourselves some permission to explore those other areas of health um, and recognize how big of an impact that makes on our health, I think, if, again, we're using food as the example, we can get really stressed out about that really quickly, mm. giving ourselves that area to explore the primary foods as well and and sort of, um, you know, have, have that attitude of of grace and, and maybe self-acceptance around, okay, but maybe right now I'm working on these pieces and maybe I can go back and forth between the primary food and secondary food depending on what's going on in my life. Mm.
1: Well, and then I would also emphasize the need to, if you're going to make a mental commitment to change, you're going to have to track your progress. So it takes at least 28 days for a new change to become a habit. And it takes, um, it takes more than six months for it to become actually lifestyle, just normative behavior. So, Cut yourself some slack, but write things down or, or record things on a device. I mean, whatever, whatever method works for you. Uh, Sarah is a huge journaler. Um, we actually wrote a, a wellness journal together, and uh, I always struggle to record mine, and she's really, really good about recording hers. But for me, probably because I struggle with it, it's one of the most powerful reminders. To pay attention to those little behavioral changes. I mean, uh, it's it kind of throws it front and center for me, even
0: when things get zany. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. I mean, keeping a regular pattern, a regular record of what you do means that you know if you're doing well, that's encouraging. It gives you confidence, you know, um, and also you can. I suppose you can learn about the things. About the areas where you struggle and try to make changes and make decisions which will help you deal with those as well um so yeah that's yeah i I like the idea of that and yeah and it does take a while you know it's a long process isn't it you know six months to make it into a lifestyle you know that it's it is a commitment you've got to make a decision to commit yourself to do it um to get into these patterns and to stick with it even when it's difficult to go through a difficult period where it might be you know you might want to give up um, but to persevere um, and that's really really important of course that helps build up resilience doesn't it so um, yeah that's that's really fascinating Um, I'm sure a lot of listeners will benefit from from all of that Um, one thing I wanted to ask Sarah Sarah um i've had a look at having a look at your work a lot of there's there's you talk a bit about yoga um Uh and um you know and um i mean i'm not against yoga at all i mean um i'm a i'm a christian but and obviously yoga's got well, has had historically um ties to other religions and you know although i'm aware of christians who are coming up with you know ways of practicing yoga which are oriented more around the bible but how does that i mean there'll be people probably listening who will have questions about a christian and who is who is practicing yoga um i don't personally i have any issues with it but can you just unpack that and how that fits with your faith and how that fits with your lifestyle as a whole Sure.
2: I'll, I will do my best to be concise in this answer because this is one of those things uh, that could easily be a, a really long conversation, I think, in a good way. It's a very rich uh, mm. conversation. But uh, one of the first things I remind people when I, I've been asked that question myself is that although yoga may be associated with other rel- religions, it, it, it isn't a religion itself. It's more mm. of, a, of a science, if anything, and... Um, and you can think of, if you're familiar with Ayurveda, as as yoga's sister science. Um, so if anything, yoga is really more of a science than a philosophy, uh, but mm. but not necessarily a religion. Um, like anything, we can add religious elements to it if, if that is something that, you know, becomes prayerful for us or however it is that we access our connection to, to God um, in, in the way that we see it. But, um I don't explicitly, um, you know, when I teach personally or, again, when I'm asked those questions about it, espouse a specific religious um, affiliation with yoga. Um, mm. Now, I do think... It, sorry, go ahead.
0: No, no, go ahead. I was just oh. agreeing with you.
2: Um, and I think that there are, you know, there are um, organizations like uh, Holy Yoga, for instance, it, you know, Kate's, I, I believe, done some training and work with them, um, who are are bringing a explicitly Christian um, you know approach to yoga practices um, in my personal opinion I think that's great you know however it is that an individual cultivates that relationship with the divine um, yeah. and within themselves, I don't think we should should hinder that. Um, no, I and I think yeah. that's for each person to then find either the yoga teacher, the type of practice, the studio that, that does best serve them. I mean, each studio, just like each church, is quite different depending on who leads it, who's teaching, what the community is like. So if anything, I would say maybe shop around a little, right? Find, find those studios and teachers that speak to what resonates for you and supports you um that would be my short answer to that
0: <laughs> yeah i mean i i you know, i've got nothing against yoga at all i think again like I, I would be in agreement with you that it's you know that it's not although it may have kind of some of some of its roots might have been birthed in one particular religion it, it's not actually tied to any particular religion at all that it's actually more of a, a science like you talk about um Mhm. I know a lot. Of, I actually know a lot of Christians that practice it anyway, um, mm-hmm. and I've thought about practicing it myself actually as a, um, yeah, you know, as a way to get, a way to get healthy. Um, um, yeah, because and I'm I'm going to be interviewing somebody else for this podcast who is, who's yeah, as I said, who's devised a way to practice yoga through the context of scripture. You know, uh, mm-hmm. which so there's even
2: a uh, mind body green. Uh, I wrote an article for them. It's been it was a couple of years ago now called "Why Why Christians Shouldn't Practice Yoga," and it's a sarcastic uh, title <laughs> intentionally, <laughs> just to draw a couple of parallels between actually uh, between yoga and and Christianity. And I mean, one of the one example and this may seem superficial, but it's an example, a mala a mala necklace that's used for prayer and meditation and yoga practices has 108 beads on it. A rosary has 108 beads on it. Mm. So there are all these things where, you, where I, I think the deeper you go into both your faith and or your practice, um, for me I feel like actually once I became a yoga teacher, it deepened and diversified my faith in Christ. Um, it didn't threaten it; it grew it. Now that's my experience. It's different for different people, but as a, as what I would you know self describe as a Christian, I feel like my yoga practice has actually deepened that faith, not
0: threatened it. Awesome! That is awesome. Um, is that is that your experience too, Kate?
1: It absolutely it absolutely is. I I always think back to Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. Yoga is a movement practice. It's it's a yes, it's a fitness modality, but it really asks a person to merge their bodily movement with their own inhale and exhale. And it it neurologically it slows us down. And in my experience that creates space for hearing God's voice. And if you're, if you're moving, if you're moving 60 miles an hour, you're not listening to anything. Um, and you know, when I, times in my life where I've disregarded my own, uh, spirituality, it's been simply because I was moving too fast and staying too busy. And, you know, the Bible talks about it as honoring, uh, honoring second kingdom. So for me, (laughs) I like to build that second kingdom of work, right? It's very easy for me to just get very, Um, obsessed or addicted to my work. And I'm blessed because I love it, but that is not supposed to be the primary focus of our life, of our heart, of our soul. Uh, And we're not able to bring our best self to each day if that's what we're doing. Um, So for me, uh, because I tend to be a kinetic, you know, a fast moving person, the movement and the breath allows me to slow down some people really struggle with still meditation and still prayer because their their monkey mind is going and you know and they're they're kind of a, a kinetic person I'm one of those folks I have to really really um avoid caffeine and um and make it a daily practice I struggle with that but yoga I've never struggled because the movement gets me there um, my, my nervous system de escalates as I move, as I breathe and that creates space for God. So yes, there, there is some really interesting debate. I, I teach at a Christian university now and the first time, first time I taught a yoga class, somebody said, are you allowed to do that here? And that's what introduced me to the fact that there's a debate within Judeo-Christian tradition about the origins of yoga. And usually the issue is somebody doesn't know the history. They think it's a Hindu practice when that's absolutely not, you know, that's not the origin story of this 5,000-year-old tradition. Um, so, mm. as with most things, I like, I like to go to the neuroscience of it. I like to go to Psalm 4610. And then I lean heavily on my own experience. Has it been a positive uh spiritual boy for me absolutely the answer
0: is yes wow you see i i I confess complete ignorance there actually because i i was i think i was under the illusion as well that it was coming from that ancient Hindu practice um from the hindu religion um and yeah (laughs) so that actually is quite liberating for me because i was um I was quite confused for a while because I thought this is this seems really really good, like something which can in chew, chew me into to God and the Bible and Jesus and you know and the Holy Spirit and connect me with god and uh and yet it 's kind of like it, its roots seem to come from another religion, you know, so that 's clearly a myth <laughs> um from what you said um what I mean just like really really briefly what 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 actually are its roots?
1: So yoga was um, originally practiced in the Vedic tradition, and the movement practice was meant as preparation for prayer. So the movement practice was meant to kind of get the wiggles out for seated meditation. Now, in the 60s and 70s, there was this huge cultural co-opting that happened in the United States as... um, as some yoga teachers in India brought it to the States, and there was this kind of embrace of not just the movement modality of yoga, but um, some of the Hindu spiritual practices as well. And I always laugh a little bit because there's this uh, kind of culturally incompetent or kind of uh, accidental merger that really happened in people's minds there.
0: Uh, Right. I see. That is fascinating. Um, and we will be talking about this more on the podcast for sure in the future. Um, so just to tie it all together. Uh, all of this we've talked about. you know, We've talked about the yoga. We've talked about uh, the spirit, the practices. We've talked about those resilience practices. Those little things that we can do. Just doing one small thing that we can do each day. Um, just adding one small thing. Replacing one thing with another in a sense um for you how has each of you this is actually um how has this impacted your your faith and your relationship with jesus and and how has that become a kind of cycle which has impacted the rest of it like i'm, I'm kind of seeing a circle where these practices have kind of maybe had an impact on your life and deepened your faith and the deepening of your faith has actually helped the practices themselves and it's become like a a positive snowball in a sense. I mean, is that that the case?
2: I would say yes for myself. Um, And, you know, I love that Kate mentioned Psalm 4610. That's absolutely one of my go-tos as well as a reminder for how, for me personally, to answer from that perspective, yoga has been the gateway to um, being to truly being still my, I too am a a very movement oriented person um, on the go a lot. um, But finding that stillness um, and sort of bridging the gap between the concepts of my faith and the practices of it, the pieces of it that can be experiential um, that I can, I can feel that stillness. I can feel the, the sympathetic parasympathetic nervous system impacts that as i become you know more quiet um i sense surrender i sense faith i can practice grace with myself um in an, in a way that i hadn't yet really found um before yoga and so in in those ways it uh, it directly impacts my faith practices and
1: um and my relationship with, with
0: God cool and we'll, just... well
1: and again I think it's that that everything's interrelated uh, and I would I would echo that sentiment
0: fantastic well thank you um, both um, it's really been great having you both here today I, mean, I think we've all I think I've learned a lot definitely um, I think we again we're just scratching the surface Uh, there's so much more here but um thank you both for coming on and talking about this with me it's been fantastic um and again love to have you back and explore these these concepts more
1: thank you so much for having us it's been an honor as always always fun
0: (laughs) thank you um yeah so take care everyone and um, we will talk soon